0: Even as gun battles raged outside their chamber, punctuated by the occasional shot from snipers stationed across the road, Iran's members of parliament seemed defiantly cheerful. Some posted selfies of themselves, while others waved to television cameras as they waited for rescue. Five Islamic State jihadists, reported to have been dressed in women's clothes, had stormed the building. Taking 18 lives. Up the road, suicide bombers tried to obliterate the mausoleum of the patriarch of Iran's Islamic Revolution, Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini. This is a minor issue, House Speaker Ali Larijani proclaimed. It wasn't. Last week's murderous bombings in Kerman targeted mourners gathered to commemorate the killing of General Qasim Soleimani assassinated by a United States drone in 2020. The architect of a long-running campaign to push back the influence of the United States and its ally Saudi Arabia across the region, General Soleimani was also a central figure in the defeat of the Islamic State and its so-called caliphate. For years, the Islamic Republic of Iran has also been waging a grim war in its heartland against the Islamic State. In 2018, the Islamic State attacked a military parade in Ahwaz, killing at least 29 people. The Islamic State also raided the Shia shrine of Shah Cherga in Shiraz in both 22 and 23. As counter-terrorism expert Chris Zambellis has noted, the tactical, operational and logistical elements associated with the attacks are suggestive of the presence of a relatively sophisticated militant network in Iran. Even though the world's largely forgotten the savage conflict waged by the Islamic State after the collapse of the Caliphate, the war continues on ground, pitting its jihadists against governments in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, Syria, and as regional security experts remind us every now and then, increasingly large swathes of Africa. Together with the Tehreek-e-Taliban Pakistan, the Islamic State claimed almost a thousand lives in Pakistan last year. Islamic State attacks overall dropped sharply in 2023, but the group has also engaged in significant territorial expansion, demonstrating it still has resources and organization. Israel's attacks on Iranian logistics bases, conducted after the Gaza war broke out, are intended to cut off supplies to another jihadist group, Hezbollah, which has a huge arsenal in Lebanon. They also seek to weaken the militaries primarily confronting the Islamic state though. This imbalance could have profound consequences for the primal conflict in the Middle East, which drove the rise and growth of the Islamic state in the first place. Fawaz an international relations expert who has studied the birth of the Islamic State, note that the jihadist organization's rise centered around Shia, Sunni, and Arab-Persian identity fractures in the Middle East. I quote, At the beginning of the hostilities in Syria and Iraq, he observes, Al-Nusra and ISIS obtained funds, arms, and religious cover from neighboring Sunni states. Precious social and material capital that proved decisive. The first so-called caliph of the Islamic State, Ibrahim Awad Ibrahim Ali al-Badri, also known by the pseudonym Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, in his early speeches legitimized his group as a guardian of the Sunni interest in the region. Gagas observes, Although global attention was largely focused on the jihadist group in Iraq, at least 5 organizations inside Iran were also receptive to Baghdadi's message the harakat ansar iran the harakat islami sistan vilayat khurasan iran west azerbaijan islamic movement and the jaysh al adal iran the iranian groups had a long history of brutal conflict with tehran in 2010 the execution of abdul malik rigi and his brother Abdul Hamid Regi, the leaders of the ethnic Baloch jihadist group Jundullah, led to suicide bombings in Zahidan, targeting worshippers celebrating the birthday of Imam Hussein, grandson of the Prophet Muhammad and one of the most revered figures in the Shia tradition. Forged by Iraqi prisoners in the horrific conditions of the US-run Camp Bukha, The spectacular rise of the territorial caliphate was a response to the chaos left behind by the destruction of Saddam Hussein's regime. The anarchy tipped the balance of power against this ethnic Sunni Arab minority in Iraq and opened the way for an Iran-backed Shia chauvinist regime. This in turn helped give legitimacy to leaders of the nascent jihadist movement. In summer 2003, Ziajah's writes. Zarqawi's network repeatedly targeted the Shia population during its gatherings, in pilgrimages, weddings, funerals, markets, and mosques. The Shia responded by forming vigilante groups and militias. Iran, together with Russia, later joined by a multinational American, European, and Arab task force, battled the caliphate. But Tehran faced threats to its east too, as the Islamic State idea spread to Afghanistan and Pakistan. For a time from 2013-2014, Iranian intelligence quoted the Taliban. Iran political scientist Parisa Abbasi writes, hoped this would help wield influence in a post-American Afghanistan and block anti-Shia formations operating from Afghanistan and thus secure Iran's eastern flank with Pakistan. The intelligence services of Saudi Arabia, many international security experts claim, responded by backing the Islamic State to make sure the Iranians didn't get their way. The Islamic State, Saudi intelligence decided, would be a useful tool for pressure on the Taliban, pushing them to seek patronage from Islamabad alone. In the meanwhile, pro-Islamic state feelings grew among Iran's own Sunni minority. The political scientist Jamile Kadivar, who studied the biographies of 16 convicted Iranian Islamic State operatives, concluded the life stories of the men were, and I quote, very different from each other. The process of their radicalization included political and economic marginalization, subjugation, discrimination, as well as ethnic and religious grievances. The so-called Khilafah's Propaganda on social media, about which we've all heard so much, played some role in radicalization. But the main influence was through networks of family, friends, mosques and other religious institutions in the provinces of Khuzestan, Sistan and Balochistan. The Islamic State's war in Iran could have far-reaching consequences that we are barely able to understand right now. Estimates by the United States Defense Department suggest Iran could make enough fissile material for a single implosion-type device within two weeks. There is, of course, a considerable difference between producing enough fissile material and having a deliverable nuclear bomb. The US's own Congressional Research Service notes that, and I quote, Iran does not yet have a viable nuclear weapon design or a suitable explosive detonation system. Among the reasons Iran has not reached for nuclear weapons is that the country does not consider itself as really facing an existential threat. Large-scale economic support from China and the military backing of Russia in Syria have given Tehran the comfort it needs in the face of long-running U.S. sanctions which were imposed after the Islamic Revolution. Iran, moreover, has honed the skills needed to deter the West from going to war against it. It's used proxies like Yemen's Houthi insurgents to demonstrate it can target global energy and shipping infrastructure. And even though Israel has waged a dogged secret war against Iran's nuclear program and military commanders, Tehran has deterred how far Israel will take things by threatening attacks on Israeli embassies and citizens of overseas. And of course, it's got the Hezbollah sword hanging over Israel's northern border. An escalation of the Islamic State's war within Iran, coming on the back of months of protests demanding greater cultural and political liberalisation, could, however, change Tehran's calculus. Should the regime feel its survival is at stake, it would be likely to take the risks involved in seeking the ultimate security of nuclear weapons, just like North Korea or Israel or India. Likely, other states in the Middle East, like Saudi Arabia, would then feel forced to follow down the same road. Ever since 9-11, the world has lost successive opportunities to avoid that worst-case outcome. As political scientists Dina Esfandiari and Aryan Tabatabai have argued, the war against the Caliphate offered an opening to involve Iran in a Collective Regional Security Order. Even earlier after 9-11, it's now well known that Iran even offered to abandon its nuclear weapons program and help crush Al-Qaeda in return for an end to American sanctions. The offer was spurned by the administration of former US President George Bush, who went gung-ho for regime change instead. The decades since have shown that the stabilization of the Middle East is impossible without Iran, the savageries of its regime notwithstanding. Last week's bombings and the increasing instability across the region show the time to engage in serious dialogue is running out. I'm Praveen Swami, and I'm contributing editor to the print. Thank you for watching Security Code.